0: I'm Roberto, and I'm Brendan, and together, we're ranking the
1: Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin to see who gets to party it out in the Kremlin or get shipped off to the Gulag. This week, Roller 11, Sieslav, the Sorcerer.
0: In Russian, Sieslav Charodier. So, Brendan, guess what? We're finally officially in the double digits. Whoa. What? No, we were in... What do you mean? We were in well, double digits with number 10. Yeah, but we didn't mention it then, so we're, we're mentioning it now.
1: All right. Well, i just like to point out that neither of us were math majors, so we may misidentify, you know, which numbers come after 10 and before 12. It's funny you say that,
0: because technically I am a math major now. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's not a major. A master's degree isn't a major. Yes, it's a math master's. So. Right, it's a math
1: master's. Built for business majors, I might add. So it's not going to be that advanced. No,
0: it's data science. So it's not for business majors. Before we jump into today's episode, we want to let you know about Rejects and Revolutionaries. This is a podcast that takes a detailed look at American history starting from the early colonization period. It is hosted by Sarah, who is an amazing friend and an awesome host. So make sure to check out her show. And here is the audio.
1: Rejects and Revolutionaries, formerly the American History Podcast, tells the story of the people who became Americans. The long-term goal is to answer the question of who we are as a people and to quote Tom Lehrer, how we got that way, but the process of achieving it involves a meandering journey through 17th century England, Scotland, and the Americas, and events ranging from the famous to the utterly forgotten. So join me, Sarah Tungsalvola, as we discuss hopes, ideals, fears, and failures in the future USA.
0: I've really enjoyed listening to her podcast, and Sarah is extremely passionate about her work and does meticulous research to every aspect of it. I really enjoyed her Henry Morgan episode, so make sure to get a nice bottle of rum when you get to it. Alrighty, Brendan. What do you remember about our last episode, Eziaslav, the First? Um, I believe he was known as the Accursed, wasn't he? No, that was Sviatopolk, <laughs> way
1: long ago. Well, regardless of the epithets attached to him, what I remember from Izzy is that no matter how hard he tried, he could just not hold on to power.
0: Which was basically Sviatopolk as well. And I did make a reference that they had very similar storylines. I mean, if I recall correctly,
1: Izzy also, you know, didn't die. He was able to come back. I mean, how many times, okay. How many times did he like lose power,
0: then regain it? then lose it again. I'm pretty sure it was like twice. So he lost power a total of, yeah, twice, because he lost it for the Mm -hmm. first time when he got kicked out. Yeah, so like the people of Kiev, if I recall correctly,
1: rose up and kicked him out because they just hated them that much. Did we ever say why they hated him?
0: We did, yeah, because basically he lost a big battle and the Cumans were coming to attack and the Kievans wanted to go ahead and fight but Izislav was like, uh, we just lost a big battle. We're we're low on men. We're not gonna fight. And then they're like, we wanna fight, and then it kicked him out, and they're like, we're gonna put in the prince who will who will fight, who we know as Cieslav. <laughs> and then he came back, took, you know, took over. Then his brothers were like, uh, you know, we're gonna kick you out because we don't like what you're doing. So he left again, then came back, and then he finally died in battle. Right. So, you know, he
1: Didn't hold on to power, and he didn't die of old age. I consider dying of old age a successful a success story in in this world.
0: Yeah, but we still gave him the Kremlin. Hmm. Oh right, yeah, yeah. You you wanted it. (laughs) I was ambivalent. I was like, either way works. Uh,
1: I don't know. I think my feelings have changed on him.
0: (laughs) We're not changing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're not changing it. But you know, we can we we can kick it out later. Mm-hmm. We know about history. If you get it wrong the first time, double down. <laughs> Ain't that
0: the truth? Well, would you like to know what the name Cieslav means? What does it mean, Roberto? So the name Cieslav comes from two terms, meaning SIE, well, from the, the words SIE and SLAV, which just means all glory or all the glory. Ah, I see.
1: I would like to point out to the to the uh listeners at home that I needed some pronunciation coaching on this one because his name is spelled V S E
0: S L A V. Yes, that is if you do not know Russian that might be a hard thing to say. So it is Cslav so like a v like a soft v right. There we go. You got it. I was going more with like Cslav, but Svioslav
1: is sounds sounds better. It does. Well, are you ready to learn
0: about this man? Let's go. I think we learned a little bit already, but let's go. Yeah, just not too much, though. There's there's way Mm -hmm. more. Okay. So, Siaslav was born in 1029 or 1030 when a massive serpent copulated with his human mother leading to his birth. When Siaslav finally came out of the womb, he had a call upon his head. uh, Mm C-A-U-L. Or a birth membrane. And then from thin air, there appeared three magicians, and they bade his mother to bind this call to her son so that he may carry it for the rest of his life. Bryachislav, the prince of Polsk and Minsk, was merely his adopted father, as we're told sometimes. We saw Bryachislav briefly mentioned in Yaroslav's episode, where you mentioned he was just a mere gadfly in the wars between Yaroslav and Mrs. Slav. Mm-hmm, that's true. So how's that origin story for you?
1: That's, uh, I'm not sure if that tops the guy who, oh, something about a goat? I don't remember It was remember one of that. the early ones. It was the second one. Oleg, Yeah, Oleg. He had three separate origin stories, if I recall correctly. And that was Rurik. Oh, that was Rurik. Uh, okay. That was the first one, yeah. And Oleg was the one who was orphaned, like, a, by was, like, raised by goats or something. I never
0: mentioned goats in this podcast.
1: Oh, okay. What was the deal with somebody who had another... What, what did we say about Oliak? We didn't know his early life. He, he was just the kinsman of Rurik. Okay, well, what about the... So Rurik had three... Okay, so Rurik had three separate um, birth stories, right? Yes. I know one of them was that he was Estonian, right? Yes. One of them that he was like born of some kind of creature. I don't know.
0: I don't remember, and I don't want to look it up right now. All
1: right. that right. I'm not sure Like that's the wildest origin story we've heard on here, but as we have said many times, as the disclaimer we said in, uh, put forward in uh, um, History of Sucard Villa, Georgia says, not everything is super
0: accurate to what actually happened. This is totally super accurate. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Will the chroniclers lie about the origin story if someone they gave the epithet the sorcerer to? Come on. Well, my Im- my impression is is that they didn't
1: like this guy, and I think that may have a lot to do with the fact that he took over for uh is- for Isisislav, while Izyaslav was um exiled for not wanting to
0: fight. Well, you may be right. <laughs> Let's continue on with Cieslav's childhood. As he grew up, he was able to use the magic within the call to shapeshift into different animal forms, such as a falcon, an auroch, or a wolf. But he always seemed to prefer the wolf, and he possessed about him an immense wisdom, cunning, and intelligence. He had a simple adventure filled childhood, and then in 1044, his so called father, Bryakislav, passed from this world to the next. Now, the thing about Vsieslav is that we don't know much. What we do know is that according to Simon Franklin and Jonathan Shepard, who wrote The Emergence of the Rus, Vsieslav is considered to be an outsider from within. He is from the only remaining branch of the family that isn't related to Yaroslav the Wise directly, since his family line comes from Izyslav Vladimirovich, the son of Vladimir the Great who died before his father did. Because of this early death, there was no chance that the throne would have passed to the children of Iziaslav, despite him being the elder child, this Iziaslav being Vladimir's son, not Yaroslav's
1: son. It's interesting that you mentioned that he was an outsider because, although he's not directly related to Yaroslav, I I do not know if this has anything to do with the reasons as why he gained a reputation for being a sorcerer or why the uh, Russian chroniclers said he was, but I have been reading a lot about witch trials lately. One of them was um, in The Devil's Snare, The uh, Witchcraft Crisis of 1692 by Mary Beth, Mary Norton, I believe. So the Mary Beth Norton and Mary C. Norton, I forget. And the other one is The Witch Hunt or The Triumph of Morality by F.G. Bailey. And both concern cases of witch hunts, the 1692 one, of course, being the Salem Witch Trials. And uh, powers of sorcery have a tendency to be, uh, let's say, dubiously applied to certain individuals because of their outsider status. Let's say that. Who exactly was out to defame Cieslav?
0: Uh I don't know. The Kievan princes? Yeah, probably. And you'll find out why, because uh, things aren't great between these people. <laughs> as you may mm-hmm. have noticed in every episode. Um, just wanted to quickly interrupt.
1: Sorry, I had to say that In the Devil's Snare is by Mary Beth Norton. Very great, very interesting history of the Salem Witch Trials. And uh, add some context that
0: most people do not learn. And so, yeah, anyway, continue. So you see, things remain calm within Polotsk and Kievan Rus proper. Polotsk is a bit off to the north near Novgorod. Uh, There are reports of Cieslav joining Grand Prince Iziaslav in a campaign into the steppe regions in 1060, and then coming out rather easily from that, but the seeds of hate must have been sown at that point. Sieslav was not content about his subordinate position to the Yaroslavichi or the sons of Yaroslav. As a member of the elder branch of the Rurikids, he was not going to listen to these three men and wanted to ensure that Polotsk would remain completely autonomous. He spent the next few years preparing his forces and even entered into an alliance with his kinsman, Rostislav Vladimirovich, the son of Vladimir Yaroslavich, who had also predeceased deceased the Grand Prince. This is the Vladimir who was a son of Yaroslav who died early. Okay. Because, you see, these two men were peas in a pod with similar backgrounds. They were both screwed out of their inheritance because their family member had the audacity to die before their father. Ah, uh, I hate it when that happens. I know, right? <laughs> However, Rostislav would go south to Galic and Tumaturakon to, to cause trouble for Sviatoslav Yaroslavich, while Sviatoslav would remain north in Polotsk and cause trouble for Iziaslav. Rumor has it that Sviatoslav was seen in Tumaturakon at nights, advising Rostislav about what to do in his attempts to conquer the area and then reappear in the morning back in Polotsk. That would be a very difficult move to do in one night because that is like going from the Black Sea to the Baltic Sea. Mm -hmm. Imagine like going from like Crimea to like Belarus in a single night. Well, they're both Russian, so. Well, rumor has it (laughs) along with that that he may have teleported there using magic. Ooh.
1: Oh, my God. I know. Wow. You know, it's funny. They never accuse Padre Pio of uh, being a sorcerer because he uh, just bilocates whenever he wants. Who? You never see that. Who? Pajarpio? No clue who that is. Okay. I don't know. It's 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 one of the few people off the top of my head I know
0: were said to bilocate. <laughs> well, I will put in a podcast footnote later. <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. Uh, For you see, in 1065, Cieslav amassed a forest and marched towards Pskov where he attempted to take the city for himself, but was repelled back by the garrison there. The following winter, in 1066, he went to Novgorod. Now, I'm going to have a bit of a tangent here, because there is a bit of a historical regional rivalry between these two cities. Imagine if Philly and Pittsburgh would fight each other every once in a while, but, like, actually fight each other. Mm -hmm. So, Polotsk is essentially Pittsburgh, which is, like, an up-and-coming city, while Novgorod is Philly, full of craziness and all that, and being the necessary city to a commercial highway of the land. It's like, you need to get Philly to get through, like, the East Coast, basically. Does it also have a ton of heroin? I, I, I you know, what What did the Vikings do, drug-wise? <laughs> um, they drank. Yeah, a lot of drinking, I guess. Which is also Philly. Well, that's,
1: yeah, that gets also Philly, you know crackheads across to go on the subway.
0: <laughs> yep, that degreased that the poles to make sure that the crazy Varangians didn't like... <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: You're just on the subway and you're like, oh, no, no, that person is smoking
0: meth. Oh, that's a Varangian smoking meth right there. <laughs> well, that's basically Polotsk and Novgorod. They would fight and hate each other all the time. So, this attack on Novgorod proved to be extremely bloody and Cieslav ransacked and burned his way through the city to officially subjugate it and annex the territory into Polotskian control. So this would have allowed Cieslav to go in and break Kievan Rus into a northern and southern half. So now you can see why Iziaslav was rather like upset about, you know, his son being taken out of Novgorod. Because with Cieslav capturing mm. the city, Prince Mstislav, Iziaslavich had to flee and go to Kiev. And of course, as a trophy... Sieslav took the bells from St. Sophia along with the many relics that were stored there. So the St. Sophia that was built in Novgorod, Sieslav just took them for himself. And he did something that I think is a baller move. He took these relics and bells and placed them within his own church of St. Sophia in Polotsk.
1: Okay. I was, I know the bad ending here was was he was going to destroy them because he was a pagan. I was about to ask if he was a Christian. Yes, he is. Well, you know. Christians in this time, not unknown to destroy uh, religious artifacts. Just well, not known
0: As long as they're pagan, it's fine. Well, he took them for himself and put them in his own Saint Sophia. Because there was a Saint Sophia in Novgorod, but there was also one that Sieslav built in Polotsk. And he was just mm-hmm. like, well, why should I you know, make my own bells when there's these pretty bells in Novgorod? So I'll just take Novgorod's bells. That's, uh, you know, that's a smart move. You know,
1: I'm pretty sure the Bible says something about coveting thy neighbor's property, but
0: not uh, an irrational move, I have to say. No, it's not. Especially when you, you know, it's like if, you know, Pittsburgh went in and just stole the Liberty Bell from Philly. Stole yeah. oh, the Liberty Bell. Yeah. And then, you know, mm-hmm. except I think Pittsburgh would just use
1: that to make more steel. So I don't know if they use it to make more steel. I think if Pittsburgh really wanted to just rob Philly of its character, they would clean the subways. <laughs> and make them not make them not smell like urine and feces. Apparently, we are a Philly-hating podcast. I don't hate Philly. It's just that the last couple of times I've been there, I've used the subway,
0: and I'm just like, oh, no, no, that's poop. Yep, no, that's poop. I, I don't mind going to Philly as long as I don't have to do this any public transportation. Otherwise, it's okay. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm too cheap to like lift everywhere. Honestly, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> Same here. Well, we're getting off a tangent again. <laughs> this attack on Road, of course, made the Yaroslavici to respond. They could not deal with their vital trade avenue and access to Scandinavia being out of their full control. And they marched north in the dead of winter to take out Sieslav. So Cieslav, you know, his dad was a gadfly, but Sieslav was being an annoyance for sure. Sieslav mm. was basically being an actual full-on threat to them because he was taking... You know, basically the the heirs, Prince them, so Novgorod, with under his control, was actually a big fu to the Grand Prince. So the Yaroslavichi stopped in Minsk, and the citizens barricaded themselves against the invaders. But as we mentioned in the last episode, the walls did not hold. The men were executed, and the women and children were sold into slavery. Mm, yep. Yep. Sounds about right. Yep. And then basically we're going to be covering a lot of what we did last episode, so I'll just rush through it. If you need me to stop and explain something, let me know. Mm-hmm. So the Yaroslavici departed from the city and they made their way towards Polotsk, but Sieslav stopped them along the Niemiza River. The snow fell heavily down onto the ground and the battle was rough and hard, but the Yaroslavici gained the upper hand and there were reports of a large wolf fleeing from the battlefield with Cieslav nowhere to be seen.
1: I wonder if this is where George R. R. Martin got the thing about Rob turning into a wolf. That'd be a cool detail, if so. Because there's a lot of English history in those books, but if there was some Russian history, that'd be pretty cool. You know, the Witcher can't handle all the
0: Eastern European history. Somebody else needs to pick up the slack. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Sieslav arrived in Polotsk, naked for some reason, and received word from the Yaroslavichi that they wanted to come to a truce and that they kissed a cross as part of the oath to have him join them in camp. Of course, Sviislav was a very pious man, and having heard that they promised upon the cross, he agreed to join them, especially as he had no reason to question the honor of the Yaroslavichi, He crossed the Neper River by boat along with his sons and made way to the Yaroslavici camp near Smolensk. Grand Prince Izislav greeted Svieslav and his two sons, and they went into his tent. When they entered... They were greeted by Isislav's druzhina, and the three men were captured, imprisoned, and shipped off to Kiev. Now, thrown into a prison cell, Isislav sat around and waited. He made friends with our friendly prison guard, Igor, and used his magic so he could listen to the bells chiming all the way from Polotsk. So he was reveling in the fact that he stole the bells from Polotsk, and the Grand Prince couldn't get it back. The bells are still there to this day, by the way. Oh, you know what's that? Yeah. The days passed. It was dark and damp in this prison cell, and they passed some more. He could see some rats walking along, you know, the cell, the ground. It sucked, but he ordered sometimes, you know, bring him a beer or something. It was good times. Then, a terrible outcry echoed throughout the prison. Wood smashed, people were yelling, and Vsieslav perked up, smiling knowingly. He turned to see a mob of people who had broken the door down to his prison cell, lifted him up into the air. And took him to the royal palace. Mm -hmm. Once there, he could spot Iziaslav running with his tail between his legs to Poland, and Cieslav was named the Grand Prince of Kiev. Now, here's the rough part. We do not know anything about Cieslav's rule in Kiev. Typical.
1: Yeah, again, the Russian chroniclers would not want to say anything about it, I guess. I mean, you'll find
0: out why there wasn't much to say Mm -hmm. soon. But we can only assume that he actually didn't want to rule the place because he much preferred ruling in his own town of Polotsk. You know, he was also contending with a mob rule, and he must have felt that he did not have the personal will or local support to protect his control of the land. So, like, if the mob turned on Iziaslav, they could turn on him whenever they wanted. Yeah, naturally. I think Robespierre found that one out. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, news arrived that Iziaslav was returning at the head of a Polish army. And Cieslav did what he had to do, and he gathered his forces and went forth to fight against Iziaslav. This did not turn out well for the Kievans because Cieslav saw he had a chance to escape from the area unseen. Once they went down and formed a camp, Cieslav said, I'm going to go take a walk, transformed into a hawk, and flew to Polotsk in the dead of night leaving the Kievan army to fend for themselves. And we mentioned, you know, this stuff in Isislav's mm-hmm. episode. Isislav took the city back and regained his throne. And that is the rule of Cieslav. Okay, and I know that we agreed to not cover their life after they stopped ruling in Olga's episode. Yeah. But Cieslav is a rather quick case, so would you just like to know what happens to him at the end? Uh, Yeah, sure. Alrighty, I was going to say it anyways. Do you know Anamorphs?
1: Yeah. I was just, for some reason, I was on Wikipedia reading the the synopsis to Animorphs once. And I remember there was this one with this little shit, David. He, basically, he was a sociopath and the Animorphs accrued him. It goes bad. And uh, they get rid of him by forcing him to turn into a mouse and leaving him on an island. Oh, nice. So I'm guessing something like, um, you know, clearly, Is- uh Slav... The sort, the anamorph, I mean, the sorcerer. <laughs> Clearly, we know how the rules work. If you stay in animal form for two hours, you're stuck like that forever. So, I'm guessing is they forced him to turn into, you know, I don't know, a donkey, and then he was kept as a donkey forever.
0: You know what? That's his ending right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go with what we know historically, but I do like that ending, Brendan. It's a really good ending.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I didn't write it. Uh, K. Applewhite wrote it. Applewhite. Well, there we go. Well, yeah, no. Sorry, Applewhite is the is the UFO cult guy. Apple, <laughs> Applegate is the author of Animals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's well, the <a> difference? <laughs> well, we need to remember because Siesta was imprisoned, Novgorod went to the hands of Gleb, the son of Sietoslav Yaroslavich of Chertingov, who we're going to cover next episode, just so you Chernabog. know. Chernabog. Chern the Bog. the Gold. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, my hopes up there for a second. Well, wait till my recommendation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, this is important because the former prince of Novgorod, Miseslav Iziaslavich, Isislav the Grand Prince Iziaslav's sons, no longer had a territory to control. Iziaslav used this as a chance to take revenge on Vsieslav and removed him from his position in Polotsk and gave the prince to Miseslav. But, somehow, Mrs. Slav died really quickly after that happened. Some say there was a small mouse running around his food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, small mouse. ate all his cheese. Well, and then the territory went to Izzy other son, Sviatopolk. Well, Sviatopolk waited about four years to gather enough strength. And then in 1071, he managed to kick Sviatopolk out of Polotsk and reclaimed Mm -hmm. his land. With his army of orcs that he was building in Isengard. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard! <laughs> mm-hmm. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard! <laughs> well, we lose track of Cieslav after this, because it's going to be a long time. And since it seems he didn't have a scribe at all, we don't hear his name in the chronicles until a new battle happens between him and Yaropok Izeslavich. They fought at Goloticek, which is a place we have no recollection of being wherever, must be somewhere between Kiev and Polotsk. And Yaropolk gains the upper hand, and then he wins the battle. And then that is the last century we have until this final one. Sieslav dies on April 14, 1101. Of? We don't know, but I'm, he was very old, so I'm guessing he died of old age. And mm-hmm. he outlived all of the Yaroslavichi that he fought with and ruled Polotsk for 57 years. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, uh, remind uh, me, where is Polotsk? So Polotsk is north of Belarus. Ah, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, you already said that. So basically, uh, yeah. yeah. So essentially, all of this land is is like Belarus. It's currently in the territory of Russia at the moment. No, no, it's in Belarus. Okay, it's Belarusian territory. Okay. So yeah, it's near Vitebsk. So like, it's close to the border of Russia, but like, not. It, it's not too far from Novgorod or or anything like that. So it's just okay. So we haven't really had an explanation of how
1: exactly ruling works here. It seems to me like they're operating some sort of city-state system. There's one guy in charge of this city and another guy in charge of this city. And sometimes they're related and sometimes they cooperate. I'm assuming it's a feudal system where they extract wealth from peasant farmers and whatnot. Uh, But
0: I'm still lost on how this whole thing works. So essentially these rulers have control of a, of different territories in of the area mm-hmm. so i'm going to send you a little map here of, okay. i'm going to and i'm going to put this on um the website all right polotsk is in so it's in that North pink area. one it's yeah, polotsk. Pol- polotsk is the pink one so this is a okay, map so around like the 12th century but polotsk is the mm-hmm. pink one and that is the area that Siestav controls, which is most of modern day Belarus. Hmm, okay. Oh, there's the Byzantines. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So he t- basically he went up and took everything from up to Novgorod, which is on that little lake right there, and like basically oh, started oh, cutting okay. the main river down. Ah, uh, okay. I see. Yeah, so we're gonna explain. Yeah, so basically that's what Kievan Rus looks like right now. It's just a bunch of small feudal city states that control vast territory. But they mm-hmm. all answer to Kiev. So basically, Kiev is the capital, but all of these people... Ah, okay, I see. Yeah, so basically, they're all princes, but the Grand Prince is the one in Kiev. So he's, like, the right. main owner. But they end up just fighting each other anyway. Yes. Cool. So they're, they're okay. vying for control of, like, the territory and all that.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. All right, well,
0: that makes sense. Thank you for the explanation. Of course. And, um, yeah, so are you ready to rank them? Oh, uh, yeah, why not? It's gonna be a quick one, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to feel about this one. Alrighty. Special operazia. Special operations. How well did they do in battle or have others lead in battle for them?
0: He lost a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot. Like, he, he won a few battles, but, like, to get his throne back. But that was, like, he lost most of the time, so. Mm-hmm. Or he ran away. Well, you know. Retreating means you don't die. There's something for that. But he didn't do well in battle or have others lead for him. So what do you want to give him? Um, I mean, if he didn't do well... Well, actually, did he have any victories? He had a few. He he got the one where he got his throne back and he helped the Mm Yaroslavichi against the the steppe warriors.
1: Okay. And, you know, he did keep um, his rulership of Polotsk for 57 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, like... Battle blunders, just walking into a tent, and then you get spirited away. That's just dumb. I'm sorry. That's poor negotiation on your part. And you know what? Negotiation counts as battle, in my mind. Okay, Um, so... So, you know, I'll give him a two. Which is not a zero. He
0: should be happy he doesn't get a zero. I'm giving him a one. Mm -hmm. Mostly because he lost a lot, and... Yeah, she just lost a lot. It wasn't mm. was a good time. Alrighty. Uspiech. Success.
1: How successful were they in running their nation? What cultural significance did they leave behind? Uh, cultural significance? Well, the bells of Saint Sophia are still in the other Saint Sophia in Polotsk. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I don't think Belarus has any intention of uh, returning them to Kiev. Dinovgorod. Or Dinovgorod, rather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. other than that i can't think of anything
0: well i have a few things here actually that might okay you know boost his points up a bit give him something Mm -hmm. well we need to remember that polotsk was no prize to forget about because the territory was quite well spread and went as far as Vitebsk and as far south as minsk which we can Mm -hmm. recognize as being a good chunk of belarus today and he is a belarusian national hero Because he helped build up Polotsk and is remembered as a national icon and there are statues of him everywhere. Is he remembered as a sorcerer? Yes, yes, he is. I'm getting to that. Okay. I'm I'm doing the the historical stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Polotsk was also a relatively autonomous place and he even possessed their own bishop. And he also ordered the Cathedral of St. Sophia to be built within the city. So like, he did construction projects. Now, the issue is, how does this relate to Kiev? Because we're, you know, we're currently reading the Grand Prince of Kiev, mm-hmm. and the ones that lead to Russia. So he didn't do anything for Kiev, which is the issue. But he is uh, also made famous through the Russian Belina or the folktales and is mentioned in the lay of Igor's campaign, and where and he's also known as a main character in Volk Slavivich, and even Ivan Belibin, um, who Ivan Belibin who basically did a lot of portraitures of different folktales, made a portrait of him.
1: Okay. So I'm going to argue that reputation is not the same thing as cultural significance. Cultural significance to me is art, architecture, uh, literature, or a lasting, lasting influence in that. And we gave a lot of points to who was it that uh, started writing things down first? Yaroslav. Yeah. We get, yeah, yeah, of course, Yaroslav. Yaroslav was a... Uh, nerd. Cons- yeah, nerd. Yeah, but he was <laughs> highly consequential. We gave him a lot of points for this because he was culturally consequential for Russian history.
0: Yeah, and Sieslav really wasn't. Like, mm-hmm. he's just like a... He's or, more sort of seen as like a, yeah. a folk-like villain.
1: Yeah, right, right. So like, I think giving him points for appearing in folk tales is like... It's it's like reading the brothers Grimm and being like, Wow, it was so cool for Rudd Riding Hood to do all that. It has nothing to do with the efforts of the authors to write things down. So and collect these folks these fairy tales. So no. Um that doesn't count. The Church of Saint Sophia is still up. Yeah, okay, you know, that counts. Actually, let me let me look up uh Church of Saint Sophia Polotsk. It's white I, and I green. Will, I will judge the uh, aesthetic Church. beauty of this priceless cultural site. And uh, if I don't like it, well, Belarus too bad for you.
0: Belarus is a nice place.
1: Yeah. I'm sure it's a nice place. I don't know. You, you seem like you're speaking from experience. Yeah, I was in Minsk for a while. Oh, okay. I didn't know they left
0: Americans in Minsk. <laughs> they did, yeah. It was great. Oh, the, the interior of this is very nice. Yeah, it's more Baroque, but like that is yeah, a church he built.
1: Pink. Yeah, it's pink. Yeah. You know what? Uh, it, you have to be secure in your masculinity to make your church pink. So, uh, yeah, it's a nice church. Okay. It's not, so a, it's what, not the most beautiful church I've ever seen, but it's nice. So, what are you thinking, point-wise? Um, well, we talked about cultural significance, but we haven't talked about, you know, the success he has. Uh, actually, we did, but I didn't mention the success he had in running his
0: nation. Um, which would be Polotsk and the surrounding territories he controlled. Uh, meaning a five. No, the question here is the question: Do we want to rate him by how he ruled Polotsk, or do we want to rate him by how he ruled Kiev? Well, it barely counts in Kiev. He left as soon as he could. Yeah. So, yeah, true. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna go with Polotsk. My opinion with him and Polotsk. Or that's- yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna align it with his,
1: you know, being Polotsk, because I think we're we're talking about a person's. Let's say political career. Let's say, mm-hmm. um, their entire political career, regardless of borders.
0: Yeah. So, which is why we went all the way with him and didn't mm. just like have him die like yeah. Olga did. We're like have Olga just kind of end the regency and then continue on. We're like, well, he died as a prince of Polotsk, so mm. like, and they'll keep running up. But basically, he was like the last big ruler of Polotsk, um. And then they'll be pretty much like quenched within the next few generations. Okay. So I'm so you're gonna give him a five? Yeah, I'll give him a five. I'm gonna give him a four. So I mean that's a nine for Uspiek. And we didn't mention it, but that is a three for Spencerne Operazia. Alrighty. Next up. Compromat.
1: Blackmail. What things did they do behind closed doors? Or outwardly that made others dislike them? I mean He's love has a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. He uh, has a poor reputation. Mm-hmm. Let's say that. I'm not sure if we agreed where the line was drawn. I mean, the wording is, what did, what did he do that made others dislike them? Here's the thing is, he didn't do anything to gain the reputation of a sorcerer. To gain the reputation of a sorcerer fairly, he would have to have been actually a sorcerer. And that mm-hmm. it didn't happen. So I'm not going to count any of the sorcery stuff. Things he did do that made others dislike him.
0: He attacked Novgorod uh, and Pskov. He made war, uh, and that appears to be about it. He made war against the Yaroslavichi, and this this is the interesting note because he's presented as like two in two different ways. He's because he's seen before he takes control of Kiev. As this guy who's been like wronged in the name of Christ, so he's, mm-hmm. he's like a, he's basically like a Christ martyr, like a like a near martyr because he's basically being imprisoned because he believed his bro his cousins when they said nothing's gonna happen to you, you know, but mm-hmm. they still arrested him. But then after he takes control of Kiev and then just you know starts attacking or just like and then he starts vibing on his own, just ignoring the Grand Prince. They start being like, "Hey, we're gonna screw with you now." So, like, he has like these two like images where he's just like he's this devil, you know, devil worshiper, sorcerer dude, but then he's mm-hmm. also just a wounded like Christian who's just like, "I believed you were gonna be a, a good Christian and do nothing." So, but he's he, other than that, there's nothing of note other than him attacking. I don't people. think the
1: answer is so simple because both are caricatures of yeah. what he actu- of what he actually did. I mean what's the nat- let's talk let's talk about the nature of compromat. These are things generally people do not know about, and you use them as leverage against somebody. And what did he do? Um I don't know if he did anything. He made war on other cities. Big one.
0: yeah, and he lost most of them, which we already rated him for, so mm-hmm. I Um I I I can't think of anything. Zero. Zero. We haven't given a zero in Compromat since Yaropolk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, this is our first zero this is our first zero in Compromat. Yeah. Since no, Granted, this isn't good. It just means you're boring. Yeah. Well, the stories aren't boring. Alrighty. This is the fun part. Bogemoy. Oh my god. Basically, how good looking were they? Alrighty. Sending you I'm gonna send you a series of portraits. But first <sighs> one, this okay, is no. the most contemporary one we have. Mm-hmm. I know how much you love
1: those um, coins yeah he has a hat that's all I can say he has a hat and a beard I find it interesting that they were minting i I do like these coins are
0: interesting they just don't tell you anything about what they look like okay so these are coins by the Belarusians when they were doing like their um actually that is not these are coins this is a coin from Belarus from uh-huh. um about how sieslav looked you can see his little wolf shape in the background mm-hmm um, okay, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, whatever. It's a coin. Um, okay. This is the portraiture by Belibin, Ivan Belibin, the folktale guy. Okay.
1: Well, you know, like, this one is, like, a nice painting, at least. I do enjoy Belibin's paintings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pretty iconic. Um. So I'm assuming he's the guy at the front. Yep. I mean, he looks like a tartar. I don't know how else to say. He's got that, he's got that, like... Um, cowboy mustache and you know he could, looks like a, a warrior he looks like a soldier
0: mm-hmm. this is from say. the
1: Polish Chronicles okay well he looks quite serene here doesn't have a mustache this time just a beard but, you know he's in red he has a sword he's in green stockings he has a crown with red circles on which I guess are meant to be precious stones of some kind mm-hmm. this is another one with him riding into battle no, yeah, this one looks more, it resembles more of the Bolibin paintings. Um, I should note the, the um, paintings on the Chronicles resemble the contemporary um, Belarusian coins and the um, modern Belarusian coins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this one, uh, he, he's gotten more of the Sviata look to him. You know, I, I we've, we've discussed this. I don't think this is a good look at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think it looks pretty, the style looks pretty bad. Světoslav, yes, yeah, Světoslav, yes, yeah, yeah. Světoslav, uh, you know, Olga's son, whatever. Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it gets uh, confusing, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this one looks more like a person, so I'm inclined to
0: take it more seriously. Mm-hmm. Is there okay, any, anything I have, else? I have two more. This is a portraiture of him, okay. painting, and then this is his monument in Polotsk. Okay. Well, he looks way more like a
1: Roman here, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Like he's dressed in a particularly Roman way. I'm not sure how to describe it. Like he has a tunic on. I mean, it's an equestrian statue. I mean, it looks perfectly handsome in this one, I guess. But I think it's idealized. Which one do you want to rate him by? I'm I'm going to rate him by the, uh, let's see. One, two, three, four. The fifth one here.
0: The one, like the one where it's like he has a bunch of horsemen behind him? Yeah, the drawing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. not the Billabin one. Yeah, okay. So, looking at that one, what do you think? I'm giving him a two on that one. A two? Okay. I'm giving him one on that one. I don't like it. <laughs> He's not, like, it's a cos. It's not It's not a Cossack look. It's just a Varangian Raider look. I don't, you know, I'm more into Cossacks than I am to Varangian Raiders. Mm-hmm. All righty. So, that is a three for Bojomoyi. And the uh, the last one, we have Vladichostva. Sovereignty. How long did they last on the throne? Brendan, how long do you think he lasted? Uh, two months. Actually, you're, you're pretty far off. Hmm. Sieslav ruled from September 15th, 1068 to April 1069 for a total of seven months on the throne. I wasn't that far off. I was expecting no. like a number of years. No, <laughs> seven months. Or 0.20 points. And he is so far our lowest point scorer for lengthiness. Now, the question of questions. Are we going to get a 3P and send him to the Kremlin and have three Kremlins in a row? Or are we breaking the, the pattern and shipping him off to the Gulag? Here's the thing. He wasn't that bad,
1: but he was just really boring. Mm-hmm. I, You know, I thought with a sort reputation as a sorcerer, I'm more interested, honestly... In how he got that reputation and like the role he plays as a as like a fantasy villain in that than I am and who he was as a person who he was as a person bores me. So <laughs>
0: I'm gulagging him. You know, Brendan, this is where you and I are going to be in agreement really quickly because I'm Brendan. also into the gulag because honestly, like I when I saw his epithet, politics bore me. Yeah, because when I when I saw his epithet, I was like, "Oh my gosh, we have this really cool guy named a sorcerer." Mm. And then you read into his life, oh, and yeah, you're he's like, gonna
1: pull some, so he's gonna do something absolutely crazy. No, and then, basically
0: they didn't like him. That's what happened. That <laughs> 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 one's been watching the Muppets.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that was a Three Stooges joke, but whatever. Oh well. <laughs> but yeah, he he's just boring, and I I. I like his folktales a lot more. They're at least more entertaining than his actual whole life, which is sad. But Mm -hmm. I don't know why he's a sorcerer, but... If we were ranking Belarusian rulers,
1: maybe this would have been different. But no, sorry.
0: Yeah. Who knows? Maybe. But if only he had more freaking information on his life. (laughs) That (laughs) may have saved him, because we don't know what he did for 30-something freaking years. No, we don't. Alrighty. So... Mr. Cieslav, the sorcerer, is off to the gulag. And uh, it's time for recommendations. So, Brendan, what do you want to recommend this week? I want to recommend uh,
1: a film, and maybe another if you like that one, by the French director Julie Durcanau. This is a film called 2016's Raw. Raw is a story about a girl who goes to veterinary school. Uh, she's a vegetarian, and she eats flesh for the first time. And soon, she discovers that she has a hankering for human flesh. I personally uh was a huge fan of the film she made another movie she's made a lot but the other one that i've seen was 2021's titan which was also about a young woman who has a titanium plate in her head um is a serial killer and pretends to be a guy's son in order to run from the law and uh that one's more of a drama um but both contain elements of body horror which as some people might know about me as one of my favorite subgenres of horror. Um, I've seen pretty much everything David Cronenberg ever made. And some people like it for the gross at stuff. I feel like it just is a kind of movie that has a lot to say about human identity and perhaps certain impulses that humans don't want to talk about all the time. And Raw is certainly one of those films. Yeah, you know, know, it's it's like I said, it falls under the body horrors genre, but they're also family dramas
0: as well. That's that's terrifying. (laughs) That's so terrifying, Brendan. What? (laughs) That's body horror. Holy crud.
1: (laughs) What? Listen, when I come over, we'll watch next time we come over, we'll watch Raw and I'll show you it's. I mean, it doesn't really fall into the typical trappings of body horror because body horror usually focuses on sort of not only like the violation, but the distortion of the human body. Um, you, you've seen Akira, right? Yeah. The anime.
0: Mm-hmm. You, know,
1: you know the part where um, Tetsuo uh, mutates into a giant machine baby? Yeah. That gross, fleshy stuff, and especially the part where machine and flesh... The line between that starts to blur. That is body horror, in essence. Okay, in my opinion, there's not a whole lot of that in raw. There's cannibalism in raw. I'm not certain that qualifies as body horror, but it's categorized as that on Wikipedia. I think that I think
0: would be debatable. part is fine for me. I don't care about the cannibalism. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one uh, to watch Cannibal Islands. So t- yeah, Titan has
1: quite a has definitely has body horror. Um, I forgot to mention uh, in T-Town, a young woman has sex with a car and gets impregnated by it. That That's an actual storyline in the movie. What the <laughs> f***? What the absolute <laughs> f- Listen, <Brendan? laughs> it's not it's not that weird if you've seen Cronenberg's Crash. It's just basically an evolution of Crash.
0: I was waiting for you to mention Cronenberg today, so <laughs> there we go. I did mention Cronenberg. <laughs> I know. You should check out that if you're into that it, if any horror any horror fan will love it uh I'll, I'll just tell you that right now Alrighty, sounds good i'm not a fan of horror it took i watched the exorcist for the first time with brendan so <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well we watched it follows too and that was a great movie oh no, that was that was great yeah yeah so you know i mean look
0: just follow my lead i'll i'll show you horror movies that are actually good okay well would you like to hear my recommendation today uh yes please So I wanted to fit the theme with the sorcery, despite not having that much sorcery, and I want to recommend the book, The Witch and the Tsar, by Alessia Saldikova-Gilmore. So this is a take on Baba Yaga set during the time of Ivan the Terrible, and is filled with references to the Slavic faith, history, and it's just a great entry into the Baba Yaga lore that humanizes the old lady. Oh, and she's not old in this story. She's rather awesome, to say the least. And I'll put a link to purchase it from the author's website in the episode description. You should check it out. It's really good. I enjoyed it. So, yeah, I guess it's time for the poetry today. And we're doing something a bit different. We will be reading the famous stories that Vsyslav is portrayed in. Brendan will read a segment of the Lay of Igor's campaign. And I will read the very long Russian bilina, Volk Vsyslavievich. Brennan, if you'd like to start us off. No longer indeed does the Sula
1: flow in silvery streams for the defense of the town of Ariaslavl. And that Zvina, too, flows marsh-like for the erstwhile dreaded townsmen of Polotsk to the war cries of pagans. Alone, Iziaslav, son of Vasilko, made his sharp swords ring against Lithuanian helmets, only to cut down the glory of his grandsire Sviaslav. And himself, he was cut down by Lithuanian swords under his vermilion shields, and fell on the gory grass, as if with a beloved one upon a bed. And Boyan said, Your guards, prince, birds have hooded with their wings, and beasts have licked up their blood. Neither your brother, Bryakislav, nor your other one, Sviya was there. Thus all alone you let your pearly soul drop out of your brave body through your golden gorget. Despondent are the voices. Drooped has merriment only blare the town trumpets. Yaroslav and all the descendants of Svyoslav, the time has come to lower your banners, to sheathe your dented swords, for you have already departed from the ancestral glory. For with your feuds, you started to draw the pagans onto the Russian land, onto the livelihood of Svyoslav. Indeed, because of those quarrels, violence came from the Kuman land, in the seventh age of Trojan, Sviislav cast lots for the damsel he wooed. By subterfuge, propping himself upon mounted troops, he vaulted toward the town of Kiev and touched with the staff of his lance, the golden Kievan throne. Like a fierce beast, he leapt away from them at midnight out of Belgorod, having enveloped himself in a blue mist. Then at the morn, he drove in his battle axes, opened the gates of Novgorod, shattered the glory of Yaroslav, and looked like a wolf, to the Namiga from Duduki. On the Namiga the spread sheaves are heads, that flail's thresh are of steel, lives are laid out on the threshing floor, souls are winnowed from bodies. Namiga's gory banks are not sowed goodly, sown with the bones of Russia's sons. sviaslav the prince judged men. As prince he ruled towns, but at night he prowled in the guise of a wolf. From Kiev, prowling he reached, before the cock's crew, the path of great horrors, as a wolf, prowling he crossed. For him in Polotsk they rang for matins early, at St. Sophia the bells, but he heard the ringing in Kiev. Although indeed he had a Varek soul and a daughty body, he often suffered calamities. Of him Vadak Boyan once said, with sense in the tag, Neither the guileful nor the skillful, neither buried nor barred, can escape the judgment of God. Alas, the Russian land shall moan recalling her first years and first princes. Vladimir of yore, he cannot be nailed to the Kievan hills. Now some of his banners have gone to Rurik and others to David,
0: but their plumes wave in counterturn. Awesome. So this is six pages long from my end. Mm-hmm. Volk Vsislavievich. Through the garden, through the green garden, walked and strolled the young princess Marfa she jumped from a stone on a fierce serpent. The fierce serpent coiled itself around her green Morocco leather boot and around her silken stocking with its tail would it beat along her white thigh. At that time, the princess became pregnant. She became pregnant and bore a child. In the sky, the bright moon was shining. In Kiev, a mighty Bogatyr was born. The young Volk the damp earth trembled. The famous Indian kingdom shook and the blue sea became rough. Because of the Bogatir's birth. Of young Volk fish went to the bottom of the seas. Birds flew high in the skies. Aurochs and deer went beyond the mountains. Hares and foxes went into thickets. Wolves and bears went into fir groves. seaborne Martin went into stands of trees. And when Volk was one and a half hours old, Volk spoke like thunder roars. Hail to you, my lady and mother, young Marfa Don't swaddle me in scarlet diapers, don't gird me with silken bands, but swaddle me, mother, in strong steel armor, and on my reckless head put a golden helmet, in my right hand a mace, a heavy leaded mace. Um, The mace should weigh three hundred poods. And when Volk was seven years old, his mother sent him to study reading and writing. Reading came easily to Volk. His mother sat him down to write with a pen, writing came easily to him and when volk was 10 years old at that time he was taught several wisdoms the first wisdom he studied was how to turn himself into a bright falcon the second wisdom volk studied was how to turn himself into a gray wolf the third wisdom volk studied was how to turn himself into a bay oryx with golden horns and when volk was 12 years old he started gathering himself a drujina he gathered a drujina for three years he collected a druzhina of 7,000. Volk himself was 15 years old, and all of his druzhina was 15 years old. A great rumor then reached the capital city of Kiev. The Indian czar was preparing himself. He was bragging and boasting. He wanted to plunder the city of Kiev, and to send God's churches up in smoke, and to ravage his venerable monasteries. But at that time Volk was shrewd. With all his brave druzhina, he set out on campaign to the famous Indian kingdom. The drujina slept, but Volk didn't sleep. He turned himself into a gray wolf. He ran and dashed through the dark forest and dense trees. He slaughtered the horned elk. He gave no quarter to the wolf or bear. And sables and snow leopards were his favorite morsel. He didn't scorn hares and foxes. Volk gave his brave drujina food and drink. He shod and dressed his good youths. They wore sable coats and had leopard coats as spares. The drujina slept, but Volk didn't sleep. He turned himself into a bright falcon. He flew far away to the blue sea. He slaughtered geese and white swans. He gave no quarter to small gray ducks. He gave his brave Regina food and drink. And all his dishes were varied, varied and tasty dishes. And Volk started practicing sorcery. Hail to you, my daring good youths. There aren't too many or too few of you. Seven thousand. But brothers, do you have a person who would turn himself into a Bay oryx, Who would run to the Indian kingdom? would find out about the Indian kingdom, about Saad Saltek Sadurievich, about his reckless head as the one of Batu's clan, as a blade of grass would flatten out, so all his druzhina bowed down. The daring good youth answered him, except for you, our borks Vyoslavievich, we don't have such a youth. When Vyoslavievich turned himself into a bay oryx of golden horns, he started running to the Indian kingdom. He made his first bound for the whole verst, but no one could see his second bound. He turned himself into a bright falcon. He started flying to the Indian kingdom. And he arrived in the Indian kingdom and he perched on a white stone palace, on the royal palace, and on the window with a wooden frame of the Indian Tsar. Violet winds were blowing over the crusted snow. And the Tsar was conversing with the Tsaritsa. The Tsaritsa Arzyakovna spoke, the young Yelena Alexandrovna. Hail to you, my famous Indian Tsar. You wish to prepare for war against Rus but you don't know and aren't acquainted with one thing. In the sky a bright moon was shining, and in Kiev a mighty bogatyr was born, an opponent for you, my Tsar. At that time Volk was shrewd. Sitting on the window with a wooden frame, he heard the words they said. He turned himself into an ermine, he ran through the basements and through the cellars, and through the high chambers, he bit through the strings of the taut bows, he pulled the iron tips out of the tempered arrows, And from the arms and firearms, he jerked out the flints and ramrods. And he buried everything in the ground. Volk turned himself into a bright falcon. He rose up high in the skies. He flew far away to the open field. He flew to his brave drujina. The drujina was sleeping, but Volk didn't sleep. He woke up his daring good youths. Hail to youth, my brave drujina. It's not time to sleep. It's time to get up. Let's go to the Indian kingdom. And they came to the white stone wall. The white stone wall was strong. The gates of the city were made of iron. All the hinges and bolts were made of copper. Guards were standing there night and day. The threshold was made of expensive walrus tusk. Intricate notches had been carved, but only a tiny ant could pass through the notches. All the youths became despondent. They became despondent and sad. They spoke these words. We'll lose our heads in vain. How can we pass through the wall? A young Volk was shrewd. He turned himself into a tiny ant. "'and turned all his good youths to tiny ants. "'They passed through the white stone wall, "'and the youths then stood on the other side "'inside the famous Indian kingdom. "'He turned them all into good youths, "'and they stood there with their fighting gear. "'He gave all his youths an order. "'Hail to you, my brave Drujina! "'Go through the Indian kingdom. "'Cut down the young and old. "'Don't leave any posterity in the kingdom. "'Only choose and leave. "'Not too many and not too few. Seven thousand darling pretty maids!' And his Trugina went through the Indian kingdom, and it cut down the young and old, and only chosen left darling pretty maids. And Volk himself went into the palace, into the royal palace, to the czar, to the Indian czar. The doors of the palace were made of iron. The hinges and hasps were made of gilded steel. Then Volk Zyoslavievich spoke, Although I might have hurt my foot, I have to break down the doors. With his foot he kicked the iron doors. He broke all the steel hasps. He took the Tsar by his white hands, the famous Indian Tsar, Sartek Staruglievich. Volk then spoke these words, One doesn't kill or execute Tsars like you. Grabbing him, Volk struck him against the brick floor. He smashed him into pieces of shit. Then Volk became Tsar and took the Tsaritsa Arzyakovna in marriage. The young Yelena Alexandrovna and his brave Drogina married all those maids. Then young Volk became Tsar, and his Regina became the townspeople. He rode out barrels of gold and silver, and divided steeds and cows into herds, and gave each person 100,000 coins. End. How was that story? Uh, that was something. <laughs> that is the rubbailina about Sieslav, which is way more interesting than his actual life. Mm-hmm. Was that also from the, uh, the song of Vyagor's campaign? No, that is from the Anthology
1: of Russian Folktales. Okay. Well, I should mention, uh, as I usually do, that the Song of Igor's Campaign, which I read from, is an Old East Slavic poem that was translated from Old Russian by
0: Vladimir Nabokov, Who is a dear love of this podcast because he is the best translator for poetry we have.
1: Uh, in terms of prose, he is a talented English writer and a talented Russian writer. And you want no one better.
0: Absolutely. Now, I think it's time for us to sign off because this episode is pretty long. Despite is it? CS Love, Yeah, it's an hour and 11 minutes so far. Oh, shoot. Right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we spent more time reading the stories than we did talking about Love. <laughs> It felt, Or so it felt like. Yeah, I guess so. To get more direct contact with us. <laughs> to get more direct contact with us feel free to access our website at czarpower.com. There you can find the show notes, pictures, bibliography, and vote on whether you think CS deserved the Kremlin or the Gulag. It also has links to our social media, which is just at czarpowerpod. Czar is spelled T-S-A-R. Brendan, where can they find you?
1: Best way to find me is to just follow me on Twitter at foster underscore writing. I was thinking of moving to Macedon for a long time, I decided against it. I think things have calmed down a tiny bit. So whatever.
0: Yeah, hey, I made a Mastodon and decided
1: it was not for me. <laughs> I never bothered. I was like, I don't think Mastodon
0: is going to replace Twitter. Like, there's no way. No. Turns out I was right. Well, if you would like to support the show and help us expand and grow, feel free to subscribe to our Patreon to get bonus episodes for Czar Power. We also have an Amazon book wishlist, PayPal, and coffee. Now, if you'd like to do something that's free... Leave a review on your favorite podcast host, be it Apple, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, whatever. If you don't, a friendly KGB man will come to your door. And that's a Dose from me. And remember, Vloshpros diet parasitov. parazitov.